Hello. We are still here at the Comic-Con, and we're looking forward to interviewing, taking photos, having a good time. So stay tuned. Controversial one, especially back in that time, which it shouldn't have been. But I do know for um, so Michelle's character and BLT, the dating, the interracial dating, they got a lot of disgusting hate mail over that one. The producers did, um, which is crazy. I think like a pastor wrote in and then condemned them for for airing a show like that with such content. So it really did uh, press a lot of buttons, um, I, a lot of the episodes. We were protected from the fan mail. Like they always read the fan mail for us. So we didn't always get to see what the feedback was. But I did hear especially about that one. That was like a, that one caused a lot of controversy, unfortunately. Um, anyone else? Yeah, I think um, the episode actually where my character becomes pregnant, that was of course. banned in the BBC. So um, my episodes were purposely oh. removed from showing. And um, the video company that put up Degrassi there invited me over to the UK to do a tour to promote my episodes that were not shown on the BBC. So oftentimes for the amount of hatred you get for some of those sensitive topics, there are those individuals that applauded the show um, to be brave enough to bring some of those issues to the forefront. So I think the the good outweighed the bad, hopefully, and continues to do so. 
For sure. You know, when people write in like that, it just it means you're doing something right. It means that you're you're bringing up a topic that needs to be discussed. The abortion episode was banned as well by the BBC. Uh, I, I got a lot of flack. Uh, my character got a lot of flack for swearing in schools out. <laughs> I do remember that. That was that was a big thing because I was also on prime time. But I think it was because it aired after a certain time that I, they were allowed to get away with them. But yeah, people didn't like Caitlin swearing. So, <laughs> but it was appropriate for the moment. Yes, I think. In, uh, in 2019, um, in Toronto, we had a, a reunion convention uh, where we celebrated the show with 25 cast and crew and, and 300 fans from around the world. One of the fans came on stage, not on stage, but grabbed the microphone and mentioned how she grew up in a small town in Canada and certain things were taboo. They weren't discussed openly um, in school or with your parents, but you could talk to your friends about a topic such as homosexuality or an abusive relationship. Um, it would start a dialogue because it was on the show and she said that because it was on the show it was okay to talk about it. And it was almost like a water cooler thing where other young people who didn't really have anyone to talk to at least had the show as an excuse to talk about that topic. And I think that was one of the things that Degrassi meant most to most of the fans that are still emotionally connected to the show all these decades later is that it made them feel like they weren't alone and that was kind of the mandate of the show was to say hey we're not here to tell you what's right or wrong we're not here to make your life better overnight um, this is your journey but here is someone who might be going through a similar journey and, and make you feel less alone in the world and, and that's what a lot of the fans that we met at Palooza kept reiterating time and time again that the show helped them through those times so that was a good question, man. Really deep, heavy. <laughs> you did, you did. Uh, any other questions, real quick? No, it doesn't have to be real quick. Well, no, not real quick. But I'm hoping somebody will be excited to throw their hands up. Uh, yes, sir. This is a question for all three of you. Okay. No, no, just one. You must choose. Choose wisely. How did you find out about the audition for Degrassi at your time? And what was the audition process for all three of you? And how did you guys get the parts for the characters? <laughs> yeah, three hours? Is that okay? <laughs> uh, okay, I'll go first. Um, so are you talking about Degrassi Junior? So I started on Kids of Degrassi Street, so but for Degrassi Junior High, they already knew me from Kids of Degrassi Street. But they had us re-audition. And they'd asked us if we wanted to play a different part, a new part, and uh, most of us did. I think everyone except John Iwanu, who had played um, Pete on um, Kids of Degrassi Street, wanted new characters. And so I actually auditioned for the character of Annie, who I don't know if, she was more like the Stephanie K character. Well, no, she was like a rebellious character that only lasted like one or two episodes. <laughs> the red hair and she had a beret. She didn't last very long, anyway. I auditioned for that character because I thought she was a lot more fun and rebellious. Um, so they, they, I got a part in the new show. I didn't get to play that part. And I, I actually didn't even get a character um, fully developed until a few episodes in. I was kind of not, uh, I was kind of peripheral in the very first season and while they were actually working on creating a character for me who was originally named Amanda before she was named Caitlin. Mm -hmm. Um, but anyway, so that was, that was my experience. 
Uh, for mine, I went to Etobicoke School of the Arts, and I happened to walk by the principal's office, and there's a, a board with flyers on it, and it was uh, an open audition for anyone of a certain age, didn't need any acting experience or anything. It was one of those where you have just your parents take a picture of you and write in a letter and uh, I remember my dad saying you can't wear your hair like that because I used to have spiked hair and that's the way I wanted to audition for the show and my parents were like you're never going to get on TV with hair like that ever don't do it don't do it but lo and behold I uh, got called in for an audition and because Spike wasn't a character at that time I actually auditioned for Stephanie Kay which seems not appropriate and probably why I didn't get the role, but uh, I was part of the initial, what do we call it? Our troupe there. Yes, that's it. Can't think of the word, repertoire, repertory um, of about 30 maybe individuals? 60, I think at the beginning. Something like there was that. a lot of us. Uh, when, when we first auditioned for the show and did workshops before they actually casted, for the show. We spent three weeks just kind of after school with each other learning how to act, how to play a character, and we would practice. And these workshops were being held, and they only had maybe six characters for the full show developed at that, at that time. It was Yick, Arthur, Joey, um, Stephanie K, Vula, and Annie, the one that you auditioned for. So really, all the characters were developed from those workshops and integrated into the first season of Degrassi as the show went along. So your first few episodes, it was very Stephanie K uh, heavy, Joey heavy, Dick and Arthur heavy, and then as the series progressed, they went, oh, we're gonna develop this character, we're gonna develop the Snake, we're gonna develop, you know, Caitlin. And they kind of took our, some of our personality traits that we had at the time and incorporated it into our characters. Obviously, Amanda was not a pregnant teenager, but they knew she could pull off the role. So, um, and, and I think they wanted to give it such a, a unique look uh, for a young girl to, to be that pregnant uh, character. Uh, not your typical, you know, woe is me. Um, so I, I digress, but uh, yeah, the characters were really developed as the show was being produced and filmed. The, the workshops were a way for them as well to kind of figure out who they wanted for each part. So they were watching us as we were going through these workshops, all these exercises and acting training and kind of saying, oh, I could see him as Joey, I could see her as so-and-so, or we like this person, maybe we'll write a character for them. So it was kind of a way for them at the same time to figure out who could do what. And the other crazy thing is, and I'll be quick, is that when we started these workshops, there were maybe 80 of us, and by the end there was maybe only 50. And every week, at the end of every week, you'd get a card it would be like a red card saying, yeah. goodbye, thank you for, yeah. or you're out. And we were like, oh my, it was like almost like a reality show. Like we, we really yeah. wanted to come back the next week, but nobody knew if they were going to make it all three weeks. I actually forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. No, it was, it, was, it was terrifying. My, uh, my folks still remember Selick and I running out hand in hand with our little cards. We're in, we're in. We're in for the next week. <laughs> uh, it was a big deal because by the end of the three weeks, we all really wanted to be on the show. We met some really cool people. The concept of being on a kid's show felt kind of cool. It was a cool summer job, but nobody at that time could have even contemplated the legacy that would follow um, from those auditions. How do you think your characters will act if they're going to high school today? 
ended up just giving up and uh, decided, oh, maybe this is not the career for me. And there's a lot of pressure associated to it. I can't remember how many times I've been told, I'm too short, I'm too fat, your nose is too big, your cheeks are too full. And I was just kind of tired of all that bullshit and wanted <laughs> to try something else. I moved to LA. <laughs> I, I seriously did finally move to LA for a bit just to be um, uh, a smaller fish in a bigger pond uh, because I was definitely typecast here. And uh, I so badly wanted to play something other than like a Caitlin type role. Uh, so, and I think you ended up going to LA for a bit too. Ultimately, I, I wanted to come back here, but I felt like I had to for a bit just to try and, and prove that I could do other stuff. You know, I, I was blessed. I had a, a lovely 30-year career doing different cameos and different roles and whatnot, but you will always be remembered for Degrassi, and that's fine. You know, we all have our legacy, so to speak, and that's something I've embraced over the last five years, especially from reuniting and hanging out with these guys again after so long. Uh, it is something now where I try to push it away. Now I embrace and I celebrate uh, that fact um, because we are here for a short time, and we, we do want to, you know, I have no kids. So Degrassi for me is like the child that I never had, and that's something that I want people to remember me for long after I'm gone. And, and thankfully, Degrassi is that Canadian television legacy that uh, will, will be around for and be remembered for hopefully decades and decades uh, after. So, no problem. That's a good point, though. Too, I do just want to add that I think, yeah, it was. It's the kind of thing that we did want to escape. It took us a while, I think, to, to try and escape from, or we wanted to escape from it. But I think we're all finally at a point where we can just kind of embrace it now and enjoy it for what it is, for what it was. Uh, whereas there was a time where it was, it was difficult to, to kind of get past it. Um, so yeah, thanks for that question. For me, it was anything with action. <laughs> I feel like we were always like in the school. We were always kind of like on the same in the same location. So anytime we got to do like a location shoot or something outside of the school, that was exciting. And when I got to uh, when I got to climb the barbed wire fence, there was an episode where um, we get caught spray painting. That was like exciting for me. That was like, I get to do an action scene, you know. It's not wasn't really that much action, but it was the most action Caitlin got. <laughs> I try to think when I think of Degrassi Junior High and High, I, I can't remember any favorite scene or things that I was very uncomfortable doing, like kissing, right? When you're a teenager and all of a sudden I have to make out with someone that you know I like as a person, but I'm not interested in, and I have people behind the camera a lot older than me watching and telling me to keep going, keep going, make the kiss longer, and wanting to shrivel up and die. But then, you know, fast forward to next generation where I had to do kissing scenes with Stefan and, you know, I'm eating a ton of really onion garlic hummus, knowing that he's gonna have to pretend that I don't have really bad breath during a kissing scene. So it's, as I got older, I liked those scenes. When I was younger, they were horrifying. Evil. Evil. Yes, very. Um, 
so many fun scenes, so many things to remember and look back fondly on. There's not one specific moment. School's Out for me was definitely the, the, the pinnacle of my experience on the show. Stacey and I got to spend weeks and weeks together uh, creating a story arc that took place over a two-hour movie. Um, for me, that was just like, I felt like, I always wanted to be in those cool 80 movies like Karate Kid and Back to the Future. And that was my, you know, movie, my, my Back to the Future. That was my kind of really cool experience of, of being on television. And, and uh, for me, uh, that was just the utmost pleasure of being in that movie. And because it blew away so many people's minds the way that movie ended, um, it was just like a really cool part of Canadian uh, television history that is just unforgettable, especially the, the F-bomb that this one said over here. Pat also has a thing about being naked on the show, oh, yeah. so I know that like, I can. always ask producers if they could make him like strip down or Any... streak in the cafeteria. Even when I wasn't working, I would just do it. <laughs> I love being naked. It's like, oh, there's Pat again. There's some clothes on him. wanting to go out there for so long um, because I do know that we have a large fan base in Australia but I don't think it really started to hit any of us until there was a point where we started doing publicity trips as kids and you know they would take us we would Pat and I got to travel you got to travel too yeah separately because we didn't have a lot of scenes together but we would all get to, to travel and I think that was the first time probably around like Degrassi High is when it really started to sink in that the show was um, being viewed as much as it was. It still never really hit us like, we couldn't have known like that the show would live on as, as long as it has. I don't think any of us could have predicted that at all. But there was a time where suddenly like um, I had to go out the back door of a restaurant when I went to lunch with my mom because there was like a, a, a bunch of fans that were, you know, that recognized me. So there were moments where we'd be like, oh my gosh, this is, this is weird. But in Canada, for the most part, um, we don't really have that celebrity status or, or star system. And, and seriously, growing up... Um, when I was in high school and I was doing the show in the first few years, it was kind of really uncool to be on the show. And if I was on the streetcar, uh, just like local transit, um, you know, I might hear someone say, or something, to just to see if I would turn around to see if it was me. So that wasn't, it was, it was almost a bit embarrassing. So it was, yeah, I guess it took, it was towards the end of the show where, it started making more of an impact and starting to sink in. And I think it's really from meeting people like yourself, right? Where as we've gotten older, we've traveled and we've meeting individuals from outside of Canada, that's when we, it really resonates because you hear exactly what you've just said from people all, all over the world and you realize, okay, our show was really special. 
and it reached people in a way that is really lovely to be remembered for. Um, so yeah, I think it's through meeting people like yourself that has opened our eyes to the impact that it's had around the world. So thank you. Yeah, well that's the thing about social media, right? I mean, we've all embraced it now, and, and we've met so many people online who tell us daily, you know, the show made an impact in my life, and, and this is not, not that we seek and crave this validation, but it's nice to get that applause at the end of a performance when you do a play. You know, you bow and you say thank you. For decades, we didn't have that because we got critical acclaim from media, like the Toronto Sun, the Toronto Star, and you know, Degrassi, kids show for, for everybody to watch. Like, that's what we were told, that people were watching it, but there was no social media, and we'd get the odd fan mail sent to the office once in a blue moon. So here we are, you know, almost 35 years later, and we're still receiving that love from you guys, which is just unbelievable, and it makes us feel really, really good to know that you've carried the show with you all these years with you uh, in a positive way. They're all at my house right now, waiting. Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> Again, social media allows us to stay in touch. Uh, we were all, most of us are on Facebook, and some of us are more engaging than others on social media. Oh, you're pointing it to me as if I'm not, because I am but not. You're that. Trying, <laughs> but you're trying. Um, and, and some of us are at different levels with social media, but yeah, it helps. And Pat, Pat organized a Degrassi Palooza recently, which was actually a reunion for a lot of us. A lot of us hadn't seen each other for 25 years since the show had ended. So that was a really uh, special moment for a lot of us to reconnect. Because everyone, everyone went their, their separate ways after, for the most part. And it was just like a handful of us that, that kept in touch long term. So... Yeah, the, that was our chance to kind of reunite. Like some of us, like I know Stacy and Amanda are buddies uh, and have kept in touch over the years. Seeluck, who played Yik Yu, is my best friend. He was the best man at my wedding. I was the best man at his wedding. Um, some of us kept in touch, but then there are some others that really pulled back and, and wanted to stay away. Like, for example, the, the young girl who played Melanie. Sarah Ballingall, she left and never wanted anything to do with the show again and the cast and the crew. She had a very bad experience with a fan that actually made it into the media uh, back in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, Arthur Kowalowski, uh, I reached out to him to see if he wanted to come and do the reunion. He had no interest. Uh, same with um, uh, Simon, who played Alexa's uh, boyfriend. Some people are just over it and, and just that was a nice moment those few years, but I'm done, and I'm just not interested in revisiting. Um, and then there's some others that are just wonderful and, and really are embracing the whole nostalgia of it all, because we're all now hitting 50. <laughs> I'm already there and past it. <laughs> but we all are hitting that age where we're looking back to a simpler time, and an easier, not an easier time, but we were in a different headspace back then, and things can get kind of crazy. We live in a crazy world right now, so it's nice to look back when things seemed simpler. Oh, sorry. Who are you looking at? I'm sorry. I, I was looking at uh, the thing. Yeah. I can't read the question. Uh, oh, Electric Circuit. Mm -hmm. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, yes, yes. Um, so I, again, I want to start off by saying you're also iconic, and thank you for all that you do.
and just it makes me sad every time that you say that you're typecasted because I love Spike so much as a character, but I wish that you got more chances because you're also like such an amazing actor. My friend Brandon and I in Edmonton and couldn't make it talk about how your character is like. It was the first time that I've ever seen someone with that kind of aesthetic have so much like, like just like so, for lack of a better word, like mature and like earnest and like kind of like the heart of the show. Um, so, so anyway, besides that, like praising you for all the amazing things that you are, um, <laughs> we kind of have like a side joke where we like kind of create our own lore for the show. So we kind of have this idea that the character of Emma is actually the villain of Degrassi Next Generation. Paul, like, Mirren's iconic, also a great actor. But Emma herself, um, we like kind of start her lore as being like Egbert, like in Degrassi Junior High, like that was eventually going to be Emma. So with that information in mind, how does it feel to have been portrayed like a really good mom who tried her best to a villain as character? <laughs> so hypothetically, <laughs> I would see uh, motherhood as being trying to get her to change her ways, and there would be those moments where I would reach out to her and she would drop her villainous facade for that brief moment. Um, so you think that she's done that uh, 180 shift, but then breaks my heart over and over as she returns to her villainous ways. I really like that. Thank you for entertaining that idea. And she blames it all on Shane. <laughs> What's his name again? <laughs> What's Shane, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I don't even remember half the stuff anymore. <laughs> No. <laughs> killing me with that question. Go ahead, go ahead. I felt they ruined my character in The Next Generation. It's something that has been eating at me for years, especially when we jumped the shark with Kevin Smith. Um, I've bitten my tongue for years about it, and at the end of the day, you know, Yan Moore, who was our head writer for Junior High and High, um, he even said to me, I wish I could have written for the, the classic characters in The Next Generation, because a lot of these young up-and-coming writers, they were great at writing for the new young cast, but they hadn't quite understood the complexity of the Spike and the Snake and the Joey and the Caitlin characters. So they kind of made us two-dimensional for The Next Gen. Um, we're to the point Filler. where... Filler, thank you, wallpaper, uh, a justification for calling the show Degrassi by having us there. Um, by the end of the fifth season, I was ready to go. And Linda, the producer, said, you know, you can come back for a sixth season. And I said, no, I don't want to. The show has its legs. The young cast are now mature enough to carry the show on their own. I've done my job, but I just don't like what they've done with my character. And then I heard that, I guess, my character moved to Calgary to live with his parents or something stupid. <laughs> I, and then they brought back my young daughter as a new character when she became old enough to be a teenager on the show. And I'm like, you missed the freaking ball. That would have been a wonderful reintroduction to the Joey Angela characters uh, on the series. But they brought Stacy back for season seven, I think it was. No, they brought your character back to be that hussy that stole that girl's boyfriend. How dare you? How dare you? Season six, right? No. 
and I do not mean to disrespect Next Gen because I know that show spoke to a generation. And Stefan Brogren, who played Snake, he says it so eloquently that every generation deserves their version of Degrassi. You know, you have Stacy where she started at the Kids Of back in the late, late, late 70s, early. About that, Friend, well, family members were very happy about that. Um, and we even shot two different endings to, to you're going to correct me, it's late episode six, <laughs> whatever it is. Um, we actually shot two different endings, one where she comes out of the clinic, I'm pregnant, and one where I'm not pregnant. And I don't think it was really known for a minute there which ending that um, the producers were going to go for. Because again, there was a lot of pre-backlash to that particular storyline. Um, so yeah, we shot two different endings, but that would be one where my parents were particularly not very happy about. We refer to Degrassi as a Canadian show, but believe it or not, PBS in the States was a huge uh, part of the show being made, and we were obligated to not only respect the CBC and, and Telefilm Canada that put money into the show, but also what PBS in Boston uh, had their man, personal mandates uh, that for their television networks. So there was, like you said, a balance that they had to figure out. And many of our episodes did get preempted on PBS because it didn't fit their mandate. My parents didn't care. <laughs> I, begged, I begged my parents to speak up for me to the producers when they asked me to do the walking calf naked scene. And my mom thought it was the coolest, funniest thing ever. And I'm like, what, mom? I thought you'd have my back. No. no, boy, you have to show your cool to the world. It's such a beautiful body. <laughs> that was one of my most embarrassing scenes. Five more minutes? That was a fast 45 minutes. Wow. Stacy Mystician talks a lot. I do, sir. Here's your chance. Who's Drake? No. No. That was a very secretive shoot. And Kevin Smith asked about us. He's like, why aren't uh, why aren't Amanda, Pat, and Stacy? I should have been nicer to the guy on set. I told him he was never going to make it in the business, so maybe that's that's why. No. no, I think he really was just focusing on the majority of the next generation cast, and of course, Stefan. Stefan gets in there because he's yeah, the principal. Like, the... He's Mr. Simpson, right? He really ran the whole gamut from the it series. Probably, it probably would have done a lot better if we'd been in it, but absolutely, you know, he'll know for the next one. Like <laughs> he was he was celebrating his version of Degrassi and his fellow castmates and, and honoring them in the only way he could, and that was by doing that really cool video. So, yeah. Next one. Sorry, you had a question as Believe it or not, they did, and it was right from the beginning. They knew that he was going to be a smart-talking, smart-alecky, you know, troublemaking guy. Um, and so when they were casting, they were looking not for a guy to be evil and mean and rude and disrespectful. They were looking for a character that was so insecure that they, people, the audience would see right through his um, charade or 
charade, is that a word? No. Charade. Um, that he was pretending to be this cool, know-it-all guy, but really he was just this insecure kid that wanted to be liked. And I think we can all relate to that growing up. And, and I think that's what they saw my ability to bring to the character, because I really was that insecure, shy kid in real life. And I just, but you were also really effing awesome at the role. Uh, I was just, thank you. But I, I was just, I literally would show up on set and say, how would Michael J. Fox play this scene? <laughs> Honestly, he was my idol and I looked up to him and I respected him so much because he was this short little Canadian guy that was just awesome. It's true that I really can't picture anybody else playing that role. Stefan, who played Snake Audition for Joey, and I remember the workshops with him playing the, the lines, and uh, Shane, who played your, your baby daddy. I thought Shane was gonna get Joey Jeremiah because he was this good-looking and you know all-American guy, and I wasn't sure what they were looking for. Um, but the Linda Schuyler, the producer, when I auditioned for the original casting session, said, nope, that's our Joey, and they really kind of focused on me throughout the workshops to bring something to the character that maybe I didn't quite understand. And again, this was a development process over seasons. You know, we all were learning how to act. Maybe not so much Stacy because she had all that experience in junior high. We're always learning. <laughs> but yeah, we spent years on set learning how to play our roles and how to act as, as the show grew as well. And they, they utilized that. You know, they, they saw that certain actors could carry certain performances or storylines and they would approach and say, do you feel comfortable doing a storyline like this? And the, the, the actor would be like, absolutely, I want that opportunity. Like, you would fight for the, the meaty roles because, you know, you wanted that. So yeah, it was, a fun, it was a fun, neat experience. I think if, oh, we got one more question and then we're gonna wrap it up. My lady, that I've been staring at this whole time. I feel like yes, this is just you and me, nobody. <laughs> you and me. No, that's a real thing. Um, Degrassi, the next generation, we were all in the bowling alley. Snake got diagnosed with cancer, and Joey got wheels to come and kind of speak to him. And then we were driving home in the red convertible, and we were all singing in the car. That was literally the last time we were all together, the three of us, uh, and, and singing that song. And it's captured on camera forever, which... Man, that song. <laughs> as soon as I read your names on the schedule, I was thinking. <laughs> All right, well, you know what, guys? Thank you so much. We appreciate you sharing this time with us. We're only here for a couple more hours. You're welcome to just come by our booth and say hi. You don't necessarily have to buy an autograph picture or a selfie with us, or, you know, we would love that, but. Please just come and say hi. We would love to, you know, give you a fist pump and, uh, and be able to connect with you guys and, and say thank you for being for, for watching Grassy. But uh, hope you had a good time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.